It's in chapter 16, verse 28, that says, I went forth from the Father and have come into the world. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us that we might have hope, that we might have faith, and that one day when we pass from this life into eternity, that we can stand face to face to a holy God and be reminded that it's not my works that save me, but the work of Jesus Christ. And unless Jesus Christ become flesh, we are to be most pitied. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, I've entitled our message this morning, The Born Promise. You know, as I, as I thought about how I would uh, approach J- uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, one of the... Uh, most important theological truths to ever be taught from the pulpit is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's the theological terminology. That Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. But through it all, I was reminded of the promise made so long ago. You know, it's something about a promise that's kept. It was in 1889 or 1989 when a devastating 8.2 earthquake hit Armenia, flattened it. 30 over 30,000 people were killed in less than 4 minutes. Hard to imagine the anguish, uh, the pain, the suffering that uh, began in those 4 brief minutes of time. People's worlds were shattered. Shaken, lives crushed. In spite of the devastation, such tragedy always tends to bring out the best in people. It provides a window into the hearts of mankind. This morning I want to peer into the window of a loving heart of a father that went through this tragic event. In the midst of the chaos and in the midst of the destruction, the father rushes to a nearby school where his son attended. Upon his arrival, what he thought to be a school was rather a a heap of rubble. Could you imagine? The devastation... That he went through as he looked in utter, utter shock, knowing that somewhere in that heap of rubble there was his child. What would have gone through your mind? Perhaps the shock of seeing this unfold before your very eyes would have crippled you, brought you to your knees like so many of the other parents that did the same as he, walking around dazed and confused, clutching their heart, screaming screaming out their children's name. But in the case of this father, the sight of the rubble and ruin only sprang him into action. The father wisely rushes to the corner of the building in which he knew his child's classroom was. And without hesitation, he begins to dig. 
Why? What real hope did this man have that he would truly find? What were the chances that his son could have survived such destruction? All he knew was that he had made a promise to his son to be there for him, whatever the cost. It was this promise that gave this man strength. It gave his body the strength and the motivation that he needed to search frantically. As he begins to dig, well-meaning people try to, of course, stop him, saying, listen, it's too late. Go home. You can't help. They're already gone. Even the chief of the fire department came and said, listen, you need to go home. There's fires and explosions everywhere and your life is in danger. But the promise kept him going. Finally, a police officer came and said, listen, sir, you're angry, you're distraught, but it's over, go home. Do you see this father had made a promise to his child that he would... Watch after him at whatever the cost. The love that this father had in his heart for his son kept the promise that he had made, kept him digging. Eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours the man has dug. He's tired. His hands are blistered. He struggles to move the smallest of boulders. And on the 38th hour, he manages somehow to remove a very large boulder. And there beneath, he hears a cry for help, and it's his son. He immediately screamed, Armand! And back came the words, Dad! I told them, I told the other kids that if you were still alive, you would save me because you promised me. You said you would always be there for me. You did it, Dad. A determined father to keep a promise that was made. The story of Armad's dad reminds me of the great promise that God made so many years ago. A matter of fact, it was a promise that was made in 4000 B.C. sometime to a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. There in the garden, when Adam failed to lead his wife and they sinned there and the world changed forever. Eve ate and Adam ate of the forbidden fruit and it's the first time we see the gospel preached. In the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3 we read a, a promise that was made to the devil. And he reads this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here in this verse, God establishes the parameters by which God would redeem his people. Through the seed of Adam. And through the progress of redemption all the way from Genesis to Christ. 
we see this progress of redemption unfold. We read through the passages of God's word and the promises that he makes, and it's through Christ that this promise would ultimately come, through the Messiah, that we would see forgiveness flow into your heart and to mine. As we began to travel through the generations of Genesis, we see the problem, the, pro- the promise still remaining to unfold through the seed of Adam. We learn that Adam and Eve had children such as Cain and Abel and one by the name of Seth. And it's through the line of Seth that we find the oldest known man, Methuselah. But before dying at the ripe old age of 969, you think you got back problems and age problems. This dude was really old. He gives birth to a man by the name of Lamech. And Lamech has a son, and his name was Noah. I'm convinced that we could preach a lifelong sermon series through the generations of Genesis. Might be a good book to write. Each sermon about these men's lives. And so there we find Noah. Everybody knows Noah, right? Noah the boat. The flood. And so we see now Noah is delivered and he has children. And and children such as Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And through the line of Shem, we continue down the line of generation after generation. Now falling onto a man by the name of Abram. Abram is an important man because God makes yet another promise. It's a promise that builds upon the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15, which now we begin to see in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and ultimately the last promise coming to fruition in Genesis 22, verse 17. Such a great opportunity. And it's that God is going to make Abraham a great nation. He is going to bless him with land, with seed, and with blessing. God promises all three of those things, land, seed, and blessing. But likely you already know there's a problem. Abram has no children in which that generation can unfold. And so there's a problem at hand. We could preach a message right here, couldn't we? As we met in Sunday school this morning, it just so happened that we're teaching through this very same thing. And it's a reminder that sometimes the promises of God can seem difficult. But we learn that God is always a promise-keeping God. And so we learn that they struggle. In Genesis 18, 9 to 14, they say this. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abram, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. 
Sarah was uh, past childbearing. She laughed to herself, saying, After I have become so old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being also old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And I love the response. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Listen, God is a promise-making God. God is making a promise to Abraham, listen, so that he can fulfill the promise that he's already made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, so that he can fulfill not only that promise, but also the one that he made to Abram, that he was going to make of him a great nation and and give him the land, the seed, and the blessing. But in order to get the land, the seed, and the blessing, he must first answer the promise that, that I'm going to give you a child so that can unfold, so that ultimately we can look down through the corridors the time and see our Savior Jesus Christ. But God understanding that unless He gives Abram a son, none of it can come about. And He isn't a liar. And so guess what? The ripe old age of somewhere around 91 years old, one of God's promises unfolds and Sarah has a child. And the child is named Isaac. You see, God is a promise-giving God, but yet He is a promise-keeping God. But God is a testing God. And so we all know of the test of Abraham. This very child which will accomplish the great promise that he's made in Genesis 3.15, that he's made in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and into 22, verse 17... He now calls God to, or calls Abraham to sacrifice his child. I don't know about you, but that would mess me up a little bit. You see, God's already showed Abraham that he's able. I mean, he showed him that he's a life-giving God because only a miracle of God, and as we talked this morning... We are reminded that when God does something, He's going to get the glory. He could have chose anybody to give birth to these children. But He chose somebody that only God could do the work, and so He gives them a child. But Abraham is tested, and God calls him to sacrifice his son. But Abraham obeys. The text says that he wakes early in the morning and goes to where the Lord would lead. A matter of fact, as he's walking up the mountain, his son says, Where's the offering? And he says, God will provide. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God can still provide. I know that life can bring, boy, a hurricane of difficulties, a hurricane of circumstances, but don't you need to be reminded like I need to be reminded so often is that God can provide because He's a promise-keeping God, and He is able. So Abraham obeys. God stops him. 
there on the altar with the angel, and God provides for him the ram for sacrifice. Great imagery of Christ. But that's not what we're preaching yet. We're still in John. And we read the reminding promises and kind of the final promise I like to conclude in Genesis. There's more, but this one I really enjoy because it's a great reminder. It says in Genesis 22, 17, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gate of their enemy. The promise of land, the blessing and the seed. It's through Isaac that we now see this blessing continue and unfold. Down through the generations and Isaac has sons. We learn Jacob and Esau and it's through now Jacob that God continues to unfold His promise. Jacob meets a young lady. Remember her name? Rachel. He falls head over heels with her. I bet she was a beauty. And so he decides that he wants to marry this young lady. And so they come up with a deal. And Laban, the father-in-law, says, Yes, if you'll work for me, I will give you my daughter in marriage. And so he diligently works as, as he was called to work. And time had come for him to now receive his wife, Rachel. And Laban, the old tricky scoundrel, rather gives him who? Leah. The wrong daughter. Boy, you're talking about a messed up story. You can bet Jacob is upset about the situation because it wasn't Leah that he loved, it was Rachel. But I want to remind you that God doesn't make mistakes. Jacob and Joseph, they had some problems, right? But ultimately what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Well, it's in Genesis 29 now and in 30 that these two women, if you read, they start having a baby-having contest. Boy, they start producing some children, don't they? I think I had more babies than they have, though. I know the Mansells do. But listen, Leah, she knows that her husband is in love with Rachel. And so she tries to earn her husband's love by having children, which I want to tell you is never a good idea. But poor Rachel, she's barren, unable to have kids, so she uses her maidservants in order to have children. And they have kid after kid after kid and after kid. But in the end, God hears her cry and gives her her own child. And here we see the birth of a young man by the name of Joseph. But isn't it just like God to seemingly use the most unlikely uh, to fulfill his promise? You know, as I read through, and if you flip through Genesis, you'll see that uh, there... If you keep reading, we don't hear anything about anybody but Joseph, really. 
And so one would come to the conclusion that God's going to continue the line through this one, Joseph. But it isn't through the child of Rachel whom God uses to bring about the promise. It's not the one woman whom Jacob loved, but rather the woman that Laban tricked Jacob with, Leah. It's through her that we see she has a child named Judah. And it's through Judah that Boaz comes about and Boaz has a son named Obed and Obed has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son named David. And this is the King David which the Messiah Jesus comes through. You see, all of this to just give you a simple picture that God made a promise a long time ago in Genesis 3.15 to the devil. And it was a promise to a man that obeyed God in Genesis 22. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. And as we come to John 1, 14 to 18, I want you to see that, that God is a promise-keeping God. And because He kept His promise, you and I can be blessed. All the nations of the earth are blessed. Because what we are about to witness is the fulfillment of prophecy. The promised blessing, the one able to make the striking blow to the devil is about to be revealed to us. It's the one of whom Ezekiel 37, 27 speaks when he says, My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. It's the one of whom Zechariah 2, 11 10 and 11 speak of it. It says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughters of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And so today as we look at John 1, 14 to 18, I want us to take note. First, we see the promise unveiled. Three things ultimately First, we see the promise unveiled. Second, we see the promise foretold. And thirdly, we see the promise revealed. Let's by start by looking at number one. We see the promise unveiled. The first 13 verses leaves us in limbo as to who the word really is. But not any longer. The text reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a, a power-packed verse. The Word that we've learned of in the opening verse was that was with God and was God, has now unveiled in becoming flesh and making His dwelling with us. The second person of the Trinity made flesh. We have the unveiling of the Son of God. A promise fulfilled of so long ago. We have the opportunity to see 
and we have the opportunity to lay hold of. I love how he says here, we saw his glory. I'm reminded when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, in Exodus, the glory of God was revealed in partial. The idea of dwelt uh, in the Greek brings about the idea of settling down a tent. And in the wilderness, wandering the glory of God, we saw in partial as the glory of God filled the tabernacle. It dwelt among the tabernacle, the glory cloud. But now Jesus has become flesh. And the promise of old is now revealed. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is such an exciting time. I mean, all of these years, all of this waiting for Messiah is now unfolding before our very eyes. 400 years of silence and on comes the scene, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the waited one. He says, boy, it's full of grace and truth that we can now see the glory of God. But not only can we see this promise unveiled, secondly, we see the promise foretold. John is all about testifying about this one that has come. And I believe it would do us well if, if we wouldn't lose sight of this. You see, he loses sight of the world and takes hold of the word. And like John, we too must begin the process of testifying about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you've testified about Jesus Christ to someone? The Messiah. The one that was promised in Genesis 3, 15, in Genesis 13, 15, 17, and 22? When is the last time we've taken the opportunity to tell somebody about the hope of Jesus Christ? My encouragement for you today is that you do that often as that door is open. I, I didn't, don't, don't give me the wrong, don't get the wrong impression. I didn't still go knock down the door and shove it down somebody's throat. I believe that God is in the business of, of saving people, souls, revealing to them the truth of the word. But we are the vessels in which he uses. So it's important that as we live out our lives, as we go out in our daily lives, in the mundane days of our lives, that we are willing and ready to prepare the gospel message as that door is opened. How do we do with that? Because that's what we've been called to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And he says, Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. John was about testifying. Verse 15 says, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher ranking than I. For he existed before me. Here, John is reminding the readers that he is the one that he has been telling them about. 
I already told you about the word, about Jesus Christ, about his eternality. John simply says, I know my place. I am but a messenger. Now, if we are to look over in Luke 1, we will see that John was born before Jesus, and yet John instructs his readers uh, that he existed before me. I'd venture to say that this prophet knew that who Jesus was. He was foretold. Just like every prophet before him, they were all pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ was the coming Messiah. And that he would bring about, again, from old, the blessing to all nations. Let me ask you a question. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, are you encouraged that you have received a blessing that was promised to you so many years ago? Through Jesus Christ. Boy, we have something to hold on to, don't we? We see the promise unveiled. We see the promise foretold. But lastly, we see the promise revealed. We are going to see now that which was unknown has now been seen and revealed. John continues, For of his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. We, we no longer, like them and the, the, those that watch afar as the glory of the Lord covers the tabernacle. Rather, now we begin to see the fullness of God. It's through Jesus Christ that you and I can now see the fullness of God unfold. Something that can be witnessed. The Word is revealed. The promise that was made back in Genesis is what shows now into humanity. And so John in chapter 1 verse 12 reminds us that he came to his own. In chapter 3 verse 19 he reminds us that the light has come into the world. In chapter 6 33 he says the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven. It's in 12, 16 that it says, I have come as light into the world. It's in chapter 16, verse 28 that says, I went forth from the Father and have come into the world. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us that we might have hope. That we might have faith and that one day when we pass from this life into eternity, that we can stand face to face to a holy God and be reminded that it's not my works that save me, but the work of Jesus Christ. And unless Jesus Christ become flesh, we are to be most pitied. It's the work of the Father that allows us that grants us the forgiveness. He has come to His own, but many have not received Him. Jesus Christ has been revealed. And it's by, by grace upon grace that we see Him. It's by grace upon grace that we notice Him. It's by grace upon grace that we desire Him. 
This morning, listen, if you're sitting in the pew and you have no desire for Christ, I pray that grace upon grace would reveal Him to you. It's nothing that I can say. It's no, no voice of mine that I can convince you. It's by, by the grace of God that He can reveal to you the Son. And so I cry out this morning that the Spirit of God reveal to you that grace upon grace has been given and offered to you. In the old famous words of Paul Washer, you lack one thing, now believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You see, John just came to witness. He just came to witness, but something's changed. It says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Something's changed. The law that was given through Moses, and of course, it was by grace that it was given, because the law showed us our need for a Savior, because I don't know about you, but I can't live the law perfectly. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, well, I've never sinned. Well, let me ask you this. You ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes? You ever told a lie? You ever stolen anything? That's just three of them, and I bet you've broken them all. So, yeah. It was by the grace of God that the law was revealed because it shows us our need for a Savior. While it's important, it was merely a preparation for something more, something greater to come. And that was all revealed through Jesus Christ. You see, just as John came as a witness, as a messenger in verse 3 and in verse 10, just as a word came in human flesh in verse 14, grace and truth came into being or has been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. And so at the end of the day, listen, John continues, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is of the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. The same God that promised in Genesis 3.15 that the devil was going to die was the same God that promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and 22, the, the land, the seed, and the blessing. It's the same God that promised Abraham a child to complete the promise he already made to Abraham to fulfill the promise he made already in Genesis three fifteen, and is now being revealed to you and I so that we can see the promise lifed out through Jesus Christ. The promise is born. Jesus Christ not only revealed the promise, but the one that gave the promise is he. Because Jesus Christ coming to this earth in flesh has now, the text says, explained him. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to know the heart of the Father? Look at Jesus Christ. And if you want to honor God, look at what Jesus Christ did in following His footsteps. While we have never seen Christ, we can be explained of just who God is by hearing and listening to who He was through the Word. We live in a time in which people want to see. Give me a sign. 
Let me see wonders and miracles. And all of those things, listen, are important and they're valuable in the proper perspective. I'm reminded that Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let me ask you a question today. Do you hear John's message? That the flesh, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Lived the the perfect life. He's already reminded us, these things I've written to you so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. I have nothing more to offer you this morning, but to tell you that John takes the time to tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that it was the answered promise that we see that, that the devil would be killed by the promised Messiah And if you today will put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in your abilities, not in your efforts, not in your works, because listen, no matter how good your works are, the Bible says they're filthy rags before the Lord. Jesus is the born promise. And he says in Genesis twenty two eighteen, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. I want to tell you this morning, we are part of that blessing. We are part of the nation that has been blessed. Not because we live in America, but because we are born from above. We're born from the promise, Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ today? Because God left heaven and became a man so that you might have life. Would you trust him today? Place your faith in him. And be blessed by his grace upon grace. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.